Well, today we're going to talk about hope, and it's the first Sunday of Advent, and we're following a, a traditional Advent uh, series this, this year, where week one would be on hope, week two will be on peace, week three is on love, and week four is on joy. So I look forward to talking to you about each of those themes that we have in the scripture as it pertains to Christ's first Advent. And today is hope. Well, hope is essential to life, yet hope is in short supply. Even when hope does energize a person's heart, the hope of this world is at best fleeting, isn't it? The hope of cloudless, sunny day is often marred by overcast skies with potential for rain. You can be sitting on a beautiful shore of a calm lake on a summer's eve, and suddenly it's stolen by the buzz of mosquitoes. Such things like this are ever a reminder that the hopes of our heart need to be held on to lightly, very lightly, because their longevity is lacking. That's hope in this world. The Bible addresses this in the book of Proverbs where we read, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Never truer words spoken. Uh, That is a verse that I've claimed (laughs) uh, many times. And in this world, those without Christ hope with a hopeless hope. Those without Christ have a hopeless hope. Paul says that those without Christ in the world are those having no hope and without God in Ephesians 2.12. They're without hope, and they don't know God. Well, when talking about the hope in this world, one writer penned this. He said, hope is something as important to us as water is to a fish. It's as vital as electricity is to a light bulb, as essential as air is to a jumbo jet. Hope is basic to life. Without that needed spark of hope, We're doomed to a dark, grim existence. And I know each one of us can agree with that. How often the world has seen hopelessness appear in suicide notes. And even if it isn't actually written out, you can read between the lines. You take away hope, and our world is reduced to something between depression and despair. Hope is more than wishful thinking. Appreciate the devotion that we had for our Advent, that hope is confident expectation. That's not the hope of the world. All too often, hope is pessimistically thought of, like this little boy who said, hope is wishing for something you know ain't going to (laughs) happen. That boy had been disappointed repeatedly, I think, in his young life, right? But the hope that's in this world is elusive hope. It's, it's hope that drives the lottery. It's hope that fills the casinos. And it's inevitably resulting in disappointment. But there is another kind of hope, and that hope is biblical hope. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. The first day of Advent. I'd like to try to bring you to various scriptures that will open up our understanding of hope according to the Scriptures. And only those who know Christ 
and have received him as their Lord and Savior can know this kind of hope. I need to clarify that this is a message for believers. We're in church, and there may be some here who have yet believed, and that's fine. But this message is predominantly for believers today. For the believer, hope is as solid and sure as the proverbial rock of Gibraltar. And as the Greek lexicon describes elpis, which is the Greek word for hope, it's a favorable and confident expectation. It's like money in the bank. But for those who don't yet know Christ, their hope is a prize just out of their reach. It's a fleeting glimpse of something that never fully materializes. Always unsatiated. So let's look at God's word today together, and let's ask him to bless our time together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to your scriptures, we are reminded that your word is truth. Father, in a world where there's much deception and many people that just flat out lie, we are grateful that you are God and not a man and that you do not lie, that you are the truth, the way and the life. And so we thank you that we have this Bible that we can look into and glean from it the things that we need to understand about this concept of hope and how vital it is to our lives. Thank you for opening our hearts to the truth, and we pray, Father, your spirit would have freedom amongst us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So first I'd like to talk about hope as it is a blessed hope. It is a blessed hope. And I'm taking it from Titus 2, if you want to go there very quickly. Titus chapter 2. And we'll look at verses 11 and following. Titus 2.11 begins, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. The blessed hope brings happiness and joy. In fact, the word blessed can mean happy. And because the believer's hope is all wrapped up in the appearing, which is an interesting word in the Greek, it's the same word that we get epiphany from, the appearing, the epiphany of Jesus Christ at his second coming, we're assured that it's going to be filled with joy and happiness. 1 John 3, 2 says that when, when he appears, we, believers, will be like him because we will see him as he is. It's at his appearing that all suffering of this present life will evaporate in rapturous joy, even as Romans 8.18 reminds us, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You take all the suffering that we have here on this earth that we can experience as an individual... And the scriptures teach us that we live about 80 years or more, maybe a little bit more, and then we go into eternity. 
So weigh that 80 years, maybe it's filled with affliction and troubles and suffering, and compare it with eternity. Maybe I should just move my hand, right? Because there's no way to weigh it. And that's what Paul was trying to get at in Romans there by telling us that. You see, the great happiness, this great happiness is even enjoyed presently before his appearing. Why? Because we have hope. We know that already. My son and I, uh, the Vikings won last Sunday. I don't know if anybody watched that game, but the Vikings actually won. And I taped it, okay? And so we watched it, I don't know, Monday night or I, don't, I can't remember, but it was after, and we knew that they had won because it's pretty hard to keep that quiet when the Vikings win. So we knew they won, but we didn't know any of the details of the game. And even though we didn't know any of the details of the game, we still got nervous right towards the end because they were doing the same thing they always do. And, and, and my son gets much more emotionally involved than I do. I'm kind of a fair-weather fan. But, and he was kind of up and pacing. I said, Joe, cool it, because we know they win, man. He said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. He sat down. It's kind of like that with believers, right? That hope that we have of eternal life that's secured and kept for us by God, we'll be, be getting there in a moment, that is an amazing truth that should help us to cool it, should help us to endure suffering and, and, and go forward with joy. Even when we lose a loved one in the Lord, Paul told the Thessalonians, you don't grieve as those who have no hope because we do have hope. The blessed hope is not just an event. It is an event, but it's not just an event. It's a person. We may think of the blessed hope as that event of Jesus' second coming, and it is, but it's not just that. The blessed hope is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 1.1 states that clearly when we read in 1 Timothy 1.1, it says, according to the commandment of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, comma, who is our hope? There it is. He is our hope. That's why that resurrection is so important. Because if he didn't resurrect from the dead, he's dead. And hope that is dead would not be very profitable for us. When he returns and we see him, we'll be like him. Colossians 1.27 reminds us that God has made known to us the riches of his glory, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory. We have a solid, confident expectation for the future because of Jesus Christ. And that blessed hope can be summed up in three things. First, that Christ is coming to receive us unto himself. He says, where I'm going, I will come and bring you along. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Number two, that Christ will then make me or us like himself, for nothing less than that will satisfy him or our renewed heart. We have a brand new heart inside a sin-cursed body called this body of death. And we need to put off this mortality and put on immortality someday. Thirdly, Christ is going to have us forever with him in an eternity of bliss spent 
in his own immediate presence. We will be in the presence of him forever and ever. Then will be answered his prayer, Father, I will that also whom thou hast given me will be with me where I am and that they may behold my glory. John 17, 14. So, the hope of the believer is a blessed hope. The blessed hope is an event, but it is also a person. And that blessed hope that we have as believers is confident. It's solid. We can take it to the bank. Secondly, it is a living hope that we have as believers. And for this, I want you to turn to First Peter. It's back a couple, excuse me, it's ahead a couple towards the end of the Bible. First Peter, and I want to look at verses uh, 3 through 5 of the first chapter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope, to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, beloved, you realize that I could be preaching for like weeks on these portions of Scripture that I'm blowing right past. I'm just focusing on the theme of hope today. But there's some stuff that we just can't pass up. It's a living hope because there's an inheritance attached to the hope. We have an inheritance. Now, I don't know, maybe you're like me. Um, I come from very humble background. And, you know, I wish I was left a great inheritance. I wasn't. And it's okay. I no worries there. But, you know, inheritance is something to look forward to. And, and, and if you're a person of wealth and you have been careful throughout your life, and you're getting on in age, your children are thinking, well, there will be an inheritance coming towards us. And they're not hoping for you to die by any stretch, but they're thinking, hey, there might be some, you know, ship coming in here later on. And, and, and that is encouraging to them, right? Well, we have an inheritance that is out of this world. It was God who, according to his great mercy, that caused us to be born again, the verse says, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our living hope has a firm foundation of a living redeemer. Back to Christ raising from the dead. And furthermore, we will obtain an inheritance, and it has these characteristics, okay? Number one, it's imperishable incorruptible. The word actually means, comes from a verb that means uh, not, it's got ah before it, which is a negative, so it cancels it out, and then farthras, which it, it means uh, corrupt, to corrupt and, and shrivel and wither or spoil by any process, to ruin, defile, or destroy, and, and that little ah in front of it, the a in front of it, cancels that all out. So it comes to mean then, in a state, being in a state subject to decay or corruption, no possible way. A state of being free from physical decay. It's 
The word carries a meaning of permanence. This word imperishable indicates immunity to the decay that infects all of creation. Our inheritance is like that. There's nothing that can touch it. Talk about money in the bank. The New Testament speaks of an incorruptible crown, an incorruptible seed that we've been given, an incorruptible heart. And that's the heart of believers being raised incorruptible. It's a beautiful word. And such is the inheritance that's assumed every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ will receive. Our hope is a living hope as it's attached to an inheritance. That inheritance is not only incorruptible, it's undefiled. It's another word that spells content, content and, and solidness. It means free from deformity or any debasement. None of its vigor or energy is impaired. It reflects a complete lack of restriction. An inheritance like this can never be lessened or lost. It's incorruptible and it's undefiled. And it will not fade away. It will not fade away. And this is in contrast to the multitudes of things in this world that do fade away, including the world itself, which will be rolled up like a scroll, right? And he will recreate a new heavens and a new earth. Everything that we see around us will fade, not our inheritance. Isaiah 40, verse 8, speaks of the grass that withers and the flower that fades Our inheritance will not lose its pristine quality and character like a beautiful flower that never fades or falls as do beautiful earthly flowers. You know, when my wife loves flowers. She's got flowers all over, all the time, and now it's coming into Christmas time, so we have lovely little paper whites, and we have amaryllis, hopefully, that will bloom just at the right time, and but, you know, sometimes those flowers, especially the, the little paper rights, they, they get to a point, you know, and they, they start dropping off the stem. That will never happen to our inheritance. It will not fade like that. It's for certain. It will retain its priceless, unspeakable beauty forever and ever and ever because it's all wrapped up in our blessed hope, Jesus Christ. And then if it's not enough, right, those three characteristics of that inheritance, then Peter goes on to say, it's reserved in heaven for you. Well, there's, there's a lockbox. There's the code that nobody can break. This inheritance, which is part of our living hope, is one that is reserved. How many times have you gone into a, a restaurant and you want that table, but there's a reserved sign on it, right? It's the one by the window with a beautiful view. And it says reserved. And you're like, whoo, whoo. Who did this? You want it. Or, or, or you maybe uh, are in a venue and you want to sit in a certain seat, but that whole row is reserved, right? It happens. And what I'm saying is that is the way it is for us. We're the ones that reserved. We're, we have a reserved inheritance in heaven. Nothing can touch it. The Greek behind the English word reserve means something that is watched over or an eye is kept on it, it is guarded, it is kept, it's held in close attention. And consider for a moment where the inheritance is being reserved for you in heaven. That's the same place that Jesus told us to store up our treasures where moth and rust do not destroy 
Incidentally, the word reserved is in the perfect tense in the Greek, which means, quite simply, that it's completed in the past, it's once and for all, and it does not need to be repeated. So that reservation, when we believed, it's stamped. It's a done deal. Do you see why sometimes I talk about Jesus saying, it is finished, and I just get kind of crazy about it? Because it's a done deal. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, it is sealed for all eternity. It, it's in, the, it's in the, the can, if you will. It's like a film that's been shot. It's like getting on a school bus. You will get to school. It's like getting on an escalator. You will get to the top. Some lack assurance of their salvation. How can you? Your salvation is not wrapped up in you. It's wrapped up in Jesus Christ, the eternal one, the resurrected one, who sits at the right hand of the Father right now in a glorified body, if you will, (laughs) and who will come back to get us, as he promised. Our living hope is not only reserved like that, that inheritance reserved in heaven, but our living hope affects the way that we face present problems. Now, this is getting down to application where we can really take it home with us this week. And I, I get so, so concerned that sometimes people can just sit and listen and listen and listen and listen, and it's like they kind of get excited a little bit you know, during church service, but by tomorrow it's like I didn't even preach. Don't do that to me. <laughs> I work really hard at this. Take it at least to Wednesday. You know? <laughs> do something with it. Jot down one thought that the Spirit of God hit you with today and put it in your pocket and take it out and look at it throughout the week. Take these things to your heart. That's what God wants you to do and your pastor. Living hope affects the way we face present problems. Christians can cope with their past because of their hope in the future. Okay? One man put it like this. Life is hard for everybody. I often say life is hard and then you die. People say, well, that's not very hopeful, but it's kind of true. Life is difficult, right? Life is hard for everybody, but it's much harder for some than others. And putting our trust in Christ as our Savior may do little to change that. Now, that's a message you don't often hear. It's about as far from health, wealth, and prosperity as you can get. Nothing in the Bible promises us a free pass merely because we're Christ's followers. In fact, some of our wounds may not heal and some of our deficiencies may not be corrected during our lifetime. But some will. But some may even get worse. I remember one man, a friend of mine, down at Grace Community Church, he was a very famous man. And um, he got saved. And his wife divorced him because of his faith. I thought everything's supposed to go well. Not for him. His wife walked out on him because she didn't want to be married to somebody that believed in Jesus Christ. There are no promises like that in the Scripture. They may even get worse for you, yet our deformities and weaknesses, get this, are only temporary. They're only temporary. 80 years, eternity. Anticipating what God has in store for us, that living hope, can seriously encourage our hearts. Hope lets us live with an inner strength because we know that one day 
will be dramatically different than we are now. That's hope. But it's biblical hope. It's confident hope. This is the living hope that we have. If you're damaged by your past, maybe, past shame, you feel defeated by sin, maybe you feel so inferior to others that you walk with your head down, believe me, people, there, there are folks in Christendom, in the body of Christ, that have such a past that they're embarrassed by their past. They haven't yet learned that Jesus took it all, and it is finished, man. You are no longer that person. That person died with Christ, and you have raised together with him in a spiritual sense. They haven't figured that out yet. So they're very, very downcast. But let me tell you, live today with the courage that God gives you and and make what you can of your afflictions, but rejoice because all that degrades and limits you is only temporary. It's only temporary. It's going to be gone someday, and some of it will be gone sooner rather than later. Some of it you will be able to deal with during this life. Um, By the providence of God, I planted a church, beacon of hope here, right in the neighborhood I grew up in. My wife grew up two blocks away from here. And I just, (laughs) I fear, I fear friends walking in through the doors from those days. But they're going to look for a Steve Linetti that died 40 years ago. I'll just say, I'm so sorry. (laughs) He passed. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he passed. He's gone, you know. And I guess I don't have to worry too much because most of those people have passed, to be honest with you. We lived hard lives, and God, by his grace, pulled me out of that, but he didn't pull many of them out. So there aren't many left. But, you know, I think of that sometimes, and, and I'm sure that some of you maybe have pasts that are a little checkered, okay? I want to tell you, you're welcome here. You're welcome here, because we believe that there's salvation. We believe that there's redemption. We believe that there's reconciliation, and there's hope. And you don't have to worry. This is a safe place to coin a phrase today. We don't have to have a room where you can feel safe. This whole place is safe. Okay? We love you. So, when we have living hope, we can press on in the face of difficulties. We can rejoice in afflictions and testing because it all pales in light of the living hope that we have in Christ. In other words, our living hope gives a motivation and power to produce changes in our lives. A living hope is dynamic, energizing, and it's capable of stimulating a strong confidence in God, which in turn has the power to affect your daily outlook and conduct. A living hope cultivates an eternal perspective, and that's what we want to have. This world's passing away and everything in it. Don't pin your hope on this world or anything in it. Think of eternity. So we've got a living hope because of an inheritance that we have. And it's a living hope that looks at the certainty of a good future so it can have the, uh, so it can handle the difficulties of the present that we're in. And it's a living hope that is productive hope. It does bring change about. Has a biblical living hope had an effect in your life? I can't answer that question. And frankly, only you can answer that question. Or are you living as if your hope is dead? 
If you struggle with the idea of living hope and the power it has to energize you with a fresh zeal for godliness and personal holiness, then pray after Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1.18. Listen to what he prays in his prayer at the end of chapter 1 in Ephesians. He says this, he prays that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Isn't that beautiful? So that you may know experientially the hope of his calling. And then the relationship of hope and life. Where there's life, there's hope. You ever heard that saying? Where there's life, there's hope. Well, that was a quote from Cicero, a Roman statesman. But I like Anne Frank. She kind of followed it up. Where there's hope, there's life. Anne was much more biblical than Cicero. Peter taught this, and it's exactly the opposite of Cicero's statement, because where there is real hope, biblical hope, there is real life, and a potential for an abundant and victorious life. The living hope I have been talking about is an integral component of saving faith. Look at the text again that we just read. To obtain an inheritance, excuse me, in 1 Peter 1.3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again, regeneration, to a living hope. You see how they're just intricately woven together, that new life that we have in Christ and the living hope that we have, as Peter said. It's exactly what he said. Biblical hope is a result of being born again. And it is God alone that gives this new life. So biblical hope. Without being born again, you can't have that living hope. That's why I said that. It's not, a, it's not to put down anybody that has yet to believe. It's just a, a biblical fact. If you've not been born again, if you have not become regenerate, as the Bible says, you, you can't know anything of this living hope. And your hopes are always deferred. So our hope as believers is not dead, but it's alive. And it's, it's life-giving because Jesus is alive, according to his resurrection, and he is life-giving. Because of this life-giving hope, no believer needs to remain trapped in their past. Heaven forbid. No matter how awful that past is. But you can be confident of your future. In other words, if you have a living hope, you can cope with the painful past as well as the prob- problematic present, right? Because you have a certainty of a glorious future. One man said this, John Blanchard, he said, hope is biblical shorthand for unconditional certainty. He's a British man, of course. Okay? So living hope is the blessed hope. I've already shown that the blessed hope is a person rather than an event, but the event is very real as well. And I just want to talk about this for a moment to you, because we have all this stuff going on talking about the first advent of Christ. That was the blessed hope of the saints of the Old Testament, the Israelites that were awaiting Messiah's coming. The event is very real. Jeremiah 14.8 says this, O hope of Israel, its Savior in time of distress. O hope of Israel. It's like a proper noun, hope 
of Israel. And that was talking about Messiah, wasn't it? This God who is the hope of Israel is in fact Messiah. It's the Old Testament equivalent of New Testament Christ. He is the deliverer whom Israel was expecting. They were hoping for Messiah. But not a wish I may, I wish I might kind of hope. It was a solid confidence at the time of his first coming. But unfortunately, many of them just wanted deliverance from Roman rule and not what Messiah brought, which was deliverance from sin and Satan. And the two that walked on the road to Emmaus with uh, Jesus, you remember after his resurrection? We're talking uh, Luke 24. They were hoping it was he who was going to redeem Israel. They were hoping it was he that would redeem Israel. They were hoping for the Messiah. And there they were walking with him, eyes completely blinded, resurrected Christ walking together with them. The Israelites fixed their hope for the redemption of Israel and the promised Messiah. And it's not without uh, a purpose that, that two old saints were blessed beyond measure when they met baby Jesus in the arms of Mary. Do you remember that? Going back to just after the birth of Jesus Christ, and they brought Jesus into the temple, and both Simeon and Anna were looking for and waiting for Messiah, the hope of Israel, her redemption. If you want to read about that later today, go to Luke 2, 25 through 38, and you read that account of both of them. And both of them had their hope fulfilled there because Jesus was brought to them and they saw him. Sadly, Israel missed the first advent. And it will not be until his second coming before they will see him for who he truly is, even as Zechariah 12.10 prophesied when he said, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look at me whom they have pierced and they will mourn him. That's at the second coming. In John 19.37 at the crucifixion of Jesus we read, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out and he who has seen and testified and his testimony is true and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe also. This is John testifying. He says, for these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture, not a bone of him shall be broken. And again, another scripture say, they shall look on him whom they have pierced. You know, it's an interesting fact that I discovered. Elpis, the word for hope, isn't in the book of Revelation. Nowhere. Now, in the New Testament, there's probably about 318 prophetic promises, direct and indirect, describing Messiah's triumphant return as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, which means that there's approximately one prophecy on the second coming in every 20 verses. In fact, it has been estimated that for every prophecy of Messiah's first advent, there are eight describing his second coming. As I was studying the biblical doctrine of hope this week, I discovered that the Greek word for hope and words that are affiliated with it 
are not used in Revelation. It's probably due, at least in part, because in that book, our hope becomes sight. It becomes sight. You don't have to hope anymore for what you can see. Wow. I never knew that. I love the job that you support me to do. Thank you. Thank you. But we're assured that on that day, when he returns, just as the book of Revelation reads, behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. That's in Revelation 1.7. Just as certain as the prophecies of the first advent came to be fulfilled literally, and so his second advent is just as sure that he will return and those prophecies will be fulfilled literally. I'm a big believer in prophecy, folks. Uh, just so happens I've been teaching in various books that don't have a lot of prophecy in them, but we're moving into that in the men's and women's Bible study in First Thessalonians. We have a living hope, people. Some may not have that kind of confidence, that hope that I've said believers possess. You may be discovering for the very first time as I'm talking about this stuff, you've never heard about this stuff before. You've never heard about this kind of a hope that you can have that's confident hope and not a wishy-washy hope, a hope that's certain, true, a future that's secure, an eternity that's just settled for good. So if so, today's the day when you can embrace the gospel. I don't believe in coincidences. I don't believe in fate. I believe in the providence of God. And if you're here today and this is kind of new stuff for you, I think God brought you here for a purpose so that you could hear the gospel. You can embrace the gospel. What that means is you turn from your own independence from God. You've been kind of living your own life. And you trust him for the forgiveness of all your sins through Jesus Christ, the Savior, his Son, God. Then you will experience that new birth that I talked about. And if you experience a new birth, you will be born into a living hope. And you'll have it. And believe me, if you make that transaction in your heart today, you will sense that. You do. And your eyes kind of like open up. You ever seen, I, I forget, there, there's movies that are done in black and white, and then all of a sudden they go, Pop! and they come into, you know, shining colors and everything like modern uh, movies. It's like that when you become a child of God, when it's real. Your eyes are open to things in the Bible that you never saw, even though you maybe read John 14 times. You're in the first chapter going, wow, wow, wow. That's what God does when he gives you new life. And so it's our prayer that you might be able to experience that today if you haven't had that experience yet with God. But for the rest of you, I pray that this was an encouraging sermon and that you are filled with hope. Beloved, we are in really strange times. I mean, I just I don't want to get off on a tangent, but our world is mixed up to the max, to the maximum. And it's not just the United States. It's not just Minnesota. It's the entire globe. And uh, we really need to be in the Word and we need to be looking at what God says to us to encourage our hearts. Because if we just listen to what's going around, around us, we will go down, down, down. And I don't want you to be like that.